the Murder Mystery Podcast. The story unfolds each week. Will you guess the killer? On the Murder Mystery Podcast, it's the Parisian Contract. Episode 4 The taxi back from the airport seems to take twice as long as the outward journey. On the way out, expectation drives forward. On the way back, it is old ground, and Olivia never likes going over old ground. The car swings to a halt at one of the numerous traffic lights along the Quai de Bercé, which runs along the north bank of the Seine, and she checks her watch. By the time she arrives outside the school, some people have moved off to look for the girl in the local streets. Olivia climbs out of the car and tries to find a familiar face in a sea of strangers. Teachers, she guesses, in orange tabards directing people, the parents largely ignoring the advice once it has been delivered. Olivia sees Jean-Luc in the centre of the storm, talking to a female gendarme. He is holding the hand of a tall, thin woman in her forties, well-dressed, her black hair loose, blowing in the Parisian breeze. Olivia walks up to the group. They ignore her at first. Then Jean-Luc sees her. Olivia, thank you for coming back. Least I could do. This is Sophie, my wife, he says to them both. Olivia Street, our lawyer. The woman looks, her eyes full of tears and concern, and smiles the slightest smile. Jean-Luc turns back to the policewoman. Have you got that? They all inspect a notepad in her hand. We'll circulate the information now, says the gendarme. Get me a photo as soon as you can. She walks off to a group of police vehicles, parked near the school gates. Olivia, I need you to help us, says Jean-Luc. What do you mean? I, we, need you to find Cammy. Isn't that the police's job? Says Olivia. Yes, of course, but... But what? Jean-Luc looks embarrassed. I had a run-in with the police a couple of years ago. Go on. It was all a terrible mistake, he says. They thought I had embezzled some funds from the company. And you hadn't? Olivia is used to asking the obvious, if uncomfortable, questions. Of course he hadn't. It's Sophie, her eyes roaring anger. I have to ask, says Olivia, without emotion. I have to know what I'm getting into here. It's part of the deal, you see. Part of the deal between lawyer and client. I can help you, but you must be completely open with me. I understand. Can we talk, darling? Sophie pulls him away from Olivia, and they start a whispered argument. Olivia turns and walks across the road to give them space, and look at the scene of the crime. The school is on the corner of a residential street, and the roads are quiet and calm, a maze of tiny routes that crisscross the city. She looks up at the buildings surrounding her. It seems an odd choice of place to kidnap a child, if that is what happened. The getaway routes are all narrow and could be easily blocked. She walks all four arms of the crossroads, looking down each street to see where it leads. Each one disappears into the distance, lined by block after block of tall, elegant buildings. 
Olivia can see the couple have finished their discussion and are both talking, but not to each other. They're on their phones. She arrives back round to the place where she started, and Sophie ends her call first. Tell me what happened, says Olivia. It was half past three, the school was coming out. We don't collect Sophie anymore now that she's at Le Collège. She walks home, it's only fifteen minutes. What then? Apparently a car was there, waiting, says the mother. A woman asked Camille if she had seen another child, but Camille didn't know the name. How do you know this? She was with her friend Adela. The woman talked to them both. Where's Adela now? says Olivia. Sophie points to a girl talking to the gendarmes. Go on. The woman offered Camille chocolat. Camille took it and the woman grabbed her arm and pulled her into the car. The woman jumped in after her and it drove off, nearly knocking Adela over. So there was a driver too, as well as the woman. Yes, says Sophie, absently. And which direction did it go? Towards the motorway. Sophie points a long arm in the direction. John Luke comes off his call. I need to go, I'm afraid, he says. You can't. His wife is indignant. I'm sorry, he says, grasping her shoulders and moving his face close to hers. We'll find her. Sophie pushes his hands away. Go. She turns without another word. Shall we sit down somewhere, Madame Dubois? asks Olivia. The woman turns her head slowly towards the lawyer. Her face has changed now. It remains concerned, but her eyes show relief. It's Sophie, is all she says. Jean-Luc arrives in the Montgomery offices and hurries from the lift that has taken him from the car park to his office floor. He sweeps in, not stopping by his assistant's desk. No calls, Marianne, and cancel my meetings this morning. He reaches the doorway to his office. Jean-Luc, he stops without turning round. They won't win, she whispers. I won't let them. He turns to the young woman. She is dark and pretty. All he wanted in an assistant. All he had wanted two years before, when he first interviewed her. I hope you're right. They have too much to lose now, she says. He walks back to the desk. Can I ask you something? Anything. What do you know as my confidential assistant must remain between us? Of course, Jean-Luc, I would never... I can't risk any leaks, Marianne. I wouldn't. She's almost pleading now. They hold each other's gaze. He turns, walks to his office, and closes the door, and her hand reaches to check the microphone under her desk. Olivia and Sophie walk for five minutes to a large cafe on the corner of a side street along a busy main road. The place is half empty. They choose a table next to the window and order café au lait. Sophie is quieter now. The tears have dried on her skin. Olivia can see she is not as unhappy as she might have expected. 
How long have you known John Luke? She says. Almost twenty years now. We met as students. The Sorbonne. We. Oui. Did you know the answer before you asked? Says Sophie. No, I knew Jean Luc went there. Olivia lies. Has he changed over those years? Everyone changes. But how has he changed? Says Olivia. I thought we were talking about finding our daughter. We are. Sophie pauses momentarily, searching Olivia's face for the truth, or a chink in her mask. He has always been very driven, she says. Very ambitious is what I fell in love with. And now? He's still very driven. He's still ambitious. But you're not in love with him, she says, turning her eyes to the woman. The coffees arrive. The women are silent as the waiter does his work. Do you have a plan for Camille? asks Sophie, ignoring the previous flow of conversation. I will have, says Olivia. Tell me about her. What does she like doing? Who are her friends? Is she quiet or boisterous? Sophie smiles, thinking of the girl. Loud, funny, like sport. Has her father wrapped around her little finger? What about friends? Many. She visits their houses across Paris at the weekend. All girls from rich families, says Sophie. Does she worry about anything? Not being good enough for her father. Or good enough for you, she says. Sophie stops, genuinely thinking the thought for the first time in her life. I don't think so, she says, slightly reluctantly. Olivia's legal training keeps the witness moving along. Speed is the key. Get them thinking quickly. Only then will they slip up. It isn't mercenary, she tells herself subconsciously. It's necessary. It's why she was put on the planet, to find the truth where people hide it. It drives her on. She can't help that part of her personality, and doesn't want to. Too many questions, her father had called the way she talked. Fortunately, she ignored his objections. She has been battling ever since with anyone who doesn't seem totally honest, through adolescence, through Cambridge, and through the inns of court. But she is happier now with who she is, as a result of all those years of fighting. Tell me about your business, says Olivia. Everyone loves flowers, and I discovered people are willing to pay huge sums for that love. That's a cynical way to describe beauty, says the lawyer. It's a business way to describe beauty. Think of the businesses that rely on beauty. Designers, modelling agencies, photographers. Do you think they're doing it just for love? They're doing it for money too. And what does Jean-Luc think about your success? I have always been more successful than him. It's not news. Do you look after Cammy? says Olivia. Most days, yes, I work at home in the afternoons now, so I'm there when she comes home. And she walks back herself. Yes, she's twelve. Paris is safe. Sophie nearly spits the words. I'm not accusing you, says Olivia. There's a moment's silence between them. What about enemies? Camille? No, you and Jean-Luc, says Olivia. 
What? No, of course not. Is it so unlikely? Jean-Luc is successful. He must have trodden on some toes with his rapid ascent to CEO. You think someone would kidnap our daughter over a promotion? No, a deal, maybe. Maybe where there were millions at stake. People do strange things for money. I can't think there's anyone, Sophie murmurs. But then she pauses. There was some guy. Yes. Olivia waits for some sort of breakthrough. A year ago, says Sophie. Jean-Luc said he lost out on some deal they were planning. What was his name? Sophie turns to look across the boulevard, recalling the events of a year before. Olivia takes a sip of coffee and waits. Guy something, says Sophie. And Olivia holds her breath. Jean-Luc sits down behind his large glass and metal desk, takes the mouse and clicks on the calendar meeting that has popped up on his desktop. The windows shift and load, and a video conference box comes up with Richard's face in it. Richard, hi. How is Paris? says Richard's voice from the speaker. Sunny. Good. London is sadly not. What news on the Alpha work? I've taken my eye off that ball, Richard, says Jean-Luc. Something has come up. More important? Much more important. Oh? It's a confidential matter, I'm afraid, says the Frenchman. I understand. How long will that take to sort out? No idea. It's only started today. Of course, says Richard. Could we briefly talk about Alpha, though? Has Olivia got anywhere? Early days, I think, but she seems good, says Jean-Luc. She can get distracted, says the man in London. I can pull her out at any time if she's not delivering. She's fine, Richard. Effective and keen to get things sorted. Give it some time. Sure. I may come over in a day or two, says Richard. See how things are going. Any more on Max, says Jean-Luc. Nothing. Simply disappeared. I had a call with the police here. The chap who Max killed seems to be some sort of businessman, though not a vagrant, as I first thought. He had a gun on him, it appears, too. The police wanted to know about Max's private life. I told him I didn't know much about him outside of work. They talk for ten more minutes, then end the call. Jean-Luc picks up his mobile, calls a number, and leaves a message. Guy? Jean-Luc. Max Strachan. Can we make sure that loose end is tied up? He rings off. He notices he is sweating, and takes off his jacket and walks to the window, his face a facade of concern. Sophie and Olivia cut through the back streets from the café and walk to the police station where the gendarme from earlier asked Sophie to attend to give more information about Camille. They find the station, an old, highly decorated building in the cinquième arrondissement, just south of the river. They talk to the desk sergeant, then wait on plastic chairs. The place is deserted. No one comes in or out while they're sitting there. Olivia's phone buzzes in her pocket. It's Ludo, Poppy's father, 
She gets up and walks out into the street to answer. Hi, Ludo. How are you all? He says. Okay, I'm in Paris. Nice, what you doing? Some business deal that went wrong, she says. They want it patched up. Still cleaning up after everyone then? The slightly too familiar Barb is unnerving. Did you call me for a reason or just to psychoanalyse me? Poppy's been acting very oddly in the last couple of weeks, says Luda. I know that's saying something as she's odd most of the time anyway. What's she been doing? Sullen, angry, flies off the handle at any little thing. Wondered if she's talked to you? She called me the day before yesterday, wants to visit me here. Did she say why? He says. Nah. What do you make of it? You're better at reading her than I am. She's sleeping with some boy, says Olivia. That was news, and you're often away. She drops the words and waits for the comeback. I spend some of the time at my girlfriend's, sure. Tabitha. Yeah, you'll like her. Olivia doubts that's true. Who's this boy? She says. Stuart something? You met him? Yeah, he's okay if you get past the mumbling teenage coolness. Like you were when we met then, she says with a smile in her voice. I was a research student, very focused on my monkeys, if I recall. Yes, you were, she says, and they pause for a split second. If I find anything, I'll let you know. Message me. I'm going to have to go. Tab's arriving in a second. Bye. Bye. A bad call? The man's voice is immediately behind her. She spins on her heel. Oh, hello. She musters as much casual as she can. It's the man from the river. Sorry I had to dash the other day, he says. Had to meet someone. No matter. What happened to the boy you crashed into? The boy who tried to rob me, you mean? She says spikily. Sorry, of course. Did he get to hospital? He'd gone. What? By the time the ambulance crew and I got back down the stairs to the river, he disappeared, she says. That's odd. Quite. Then you did too. Like I said, he mumbled. What is it that you do? She says. I'm a freelance detective. Interesting. Selling yourself to the highest bidder. As you do. What do you mean? Lawyers are freelance too, aren't they? How do you know I'm a lawyer? Says Olivia. You said. I'm pretty certain that I didn't. You were concussed after the accident, says the man. You've probably forgotten. She knows she hasn't forgotten, but lets it go. I need to get on. Me too. Maybe we can meet up for a drink, he says, handing her his business card. Dante Investigations, she reads off the card. He smiles. And you're Mr. Dante. At your service. He formally nods to her. Au revoir, then. Au revoir, she echoes. She watches him walk off down the street. Her legal nose smells something, but she's not sure what. The chance of seeing the same person twice in a bustling city is tiny, but she has no time to think it through. 
Perhaps she will call him if she gets a free evening, she thinks. Olivia strides back into the police station reception as a gendarme comes through the security gate to fetch them. They go to an interview room and spend an hour telling the police more about Camille. The police seem to have got nowhere, and Sophie gets angry at the lack of progress. They reassure her that they are doing all they can. They have asked all witnesses for statements, and they are looking for the car. But it is difficult, as there are so many cars like that in Paris, and they have no clear description. The women eventually leave the police station after 6pm, and Sophie hails a cab to go home. Olivia walks across the Pont au Double to the Ile de la Cité, and looks up at the ruined mass of the Notre Dame as she traverses the cobbles. Everything can change, she thinks. Even things that seem as though they've been the same forever. They go on being part of a landscape, even if they look different. Like people, whatever they seem at first, doesn't mean that's how they'll stay. Back in the hotel, she changes and goes out to eat. She asks the doorman for a good restaurant, and he recommends La Bonne Excuse, near the Musée d'Orsay. She takes a taxi. The place is busy, but the food is the best food she has ever had in the city, and she makes a mental note to come again. It is raining when she emerges at about half-past ten. She has forgotten about work during her meal, and thought about Poppy and what she's up to. A fine fall of water drifts across the Rue de Vinoy, where the restaurant sits halfway down. She should go back to her bed, she thinks, but instead the rebel inside makes her walk to the Seine. She turns towards the river, walks for five minutes, and she is at the d'Orsay. It is closed for the night, its grand bulk standing guard over the water and the Jardin des Tuileries on the north shore. She stops by the edge of the water, thinking through theories about Camille's kidnap. It seems too outrageous for a business person to do, or even entertain. It has to be criminals. Jean-Luc and Sophie are rich, and can pay ransom. But in all her experience, people don't commit crime randomly. There is always a logic to a crime, however sickening or cowardly. There's a twisted rationale that holds the key to understanding how any criminal mind works. Random crimes rarely exist. Most crimes are committed by people who know the victims. Getting one up on a complete stranger has no value for most people. Her phone buzzes. She answers the call without looking at who it is. Olivia? She knows the voice. Max? Is that you? She says into the phone. Yes, look, I have no time, he says. But I need your help. Of course, anything. Where are you? France, he says. Me too. I'm helping sort out the Montgomery stuff in Paris. Be very careful, Olivia. Why? She says. There are very dangerous people involved in that contract. Like who? I can't say on the phone, says Max. Meet me. Sure. Where? I'll message you. Somewhere out of the way. I've got to go. Are you okay, Max? She says. But the line is dead, and her heart is pounding in her mouth. <laughs>